Hello again, fight fans, and welcome to episode 336, that is 336, of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, and we got a great show for you today. Plenty to review, plenty to preview, and I even got some stuff that's pound-for-pound talk, fighter-of-the-year talk, and a comparison of resumes between fighters from Eastern Europe, pretty much mostly Eastern Europe, Central Asia, comparing them to fighters in the West. Get your trigger warnings ready because I'm going to offend some of you. There's going to be plenty of you taking snippets of this, putting it on Twitter and saying all kinds of crazy shit. All right, so get your popcorn ready. Guys, as always, I remind you, please make sure you're subscribed. Please make sure you click that notification bell. And uh, we don't charge a fee for the show. It's non-monetary. But I do ask you, that you please spread the word. This show grows by word of mouth. I don't do the clickbait bullshit. I don't do the politics. I don't do the, the, uh, the typical thing that everybody else does, right? Playing the role, towing the line. Nah, we step over the line. We go for it here. We tell the truth. Because of that, I am fiercely independent. I'm an independent operator. I contribute to different platforms here and there over the years, right? But I am an independent operator, and I require you guys to spread the word, to uh, get the word out there about the show and my profile. So if you're not following me on uh, social media, it's at Montero Unboxing, whether it be Twitter, YouTube, wherever. If you can't catch the live video of the show, Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern time, it's all good. You can listen. You can watch the video later on. It's all good. Or you can listen to the audio pod. Just search for Montero Unboxing, the neutral corner on whatever podcast platform you prefer. You'll find me. Make sure that you follow me, leave ratings, reviews, all that good stuff. All right, guys, let's jump right into this, man. Wow, we already got some callers on the line. Guys, wow, you want to get in already. You're going to have to let me get through my spiel first before we go to the calls. That's how we do it on Monday. Now, on Friday, on the Friday wrap-up, we just let it rip. We do whatever. But we have some structure here on Monday. All right. Um, already in the chat, uh, Aaron, my man Aaron from Australia with a hilarious comedy says, could Dimitri Bevel beat Charlie Zelenoff at a 102-pound catchweight? Listen, man, nobody beats Charlie Zelenoff. Nobody. Nobody. He's the GOAT. I, um, I got in trouble with Charlie on Twitter once. And I, I, I know probably wasn't him handling that account. It was probably a troll. But uh, he was like, yo, I challenge you to a fight, catchweight. He actually challenged me on Twitter. And I was like, champ, I want none of you. You scare me. I ain't afraid to admit it. I'm a flat out ducking Charlie Z. And I'm sure Bevo would too. He's the GOAT. All right, let's jump right into this, man. Uh, Some news and notes. And, you know, honestly, it's real quick, guys. The Spence vs. Crawford day count is up to 352. Wow, it's almost a year. 352 days now since uh, Terrence Crawford became a free agent and um, hasn't been with a promoter, and we still don't have the Spence versus Crawford fight. Now, look, the Spence versus Crawford count, uh, it's its really not even – maybe I'll stop doing it for a while because we all know Crawford's going to fight David Evanese next, right? That's what we're getting. And the rumor is Errol Spence Jr. is going to fight Keith Thurman. You can kind of see that coming when the uh, PBC paid the WBC to bump Keith Thurman up into ratings. Oh, did I say that out loud? Sorry about that. I didn't mean to say that out loud. When the WBC just randomly moved Keith Thurman up in their ratings uh, to the number one spot, you could kind of see that coming. Uh, it's almost as if this was planned all along. <laughs> um, but for the record, I still think we're going to get Spence and Crawford 
next year. I do think it happens next spring after the little tune-up fight, right? That nobody wants to see on pay-per-view, no less. On pay-per-view. Chris Bergen in the chat says, if we're going to talk about Spence versus Crawford, shall we talk about Converse Brook? Will swore at it. Yeah, good point. Good point. Although Converse Brook happened. Oh, no, wait. Did Converse Brook happen? What am I thinking of? Yes, it did happen. But I see where you're going with that, Chris. Ha. Kind of, kind of crazy, right? But I do think we're going to get it next year. All right, let's go into uh, right into the review, man. And I got a lot of stuff to discuss here. Wow, we already got several people on the line. Guys, if you're on the line, call back later because I'm going to be talking for a while. I'm not getting to your call for a while. You're going to be sitting here on hold, holding up the lines. And I'm telling you right now, I'm not going to be able to get to your call for a minute. And if somebody from overseas calls, you're going to get bounced. So I'm just letting you know what's up. All right, last week, uh, Tuesday, November 1st, in Japan, Kenshiro Taraji scores a TKO 7 win over Hiroto Kayaguchi, unifies junior flyweight belts on the undercard in the co-main. Puerto Rico's Jonathan Gonzalez defended his version of the junior flyweight belt. Also, Junto Nakatani improved to 24-0. and 0. He's a really good-looking fighter in those uh, lower weight divisions. But I hope that we get uh, Taraji Gonzalez early next year. I think that'd be great where we could unify three to four belts at uh, junior flyweight needs to happen in those lower divisions. I mean, you, you guys boxing divisions start at one Oh five to get fans to be interested, particularly casual fans to get them to be interested in the weights from one Oh five up to one twenty six. You got to have undisputed. You got to have unification, especially like one Oh five, one Oh eight, one twelve. And so th this was a, a great card over in Japan. There was a lot of action, some great back and forth battles on that card, man. Uh, ESPN Plus covered that. So if you haven't checked it out yet, make sure you do because it was a lot of fun. Uh, let's go to Minneapolis, Saturday, November 5th. And I got to talk about some good, some bad, some ugly on this card. We'll, we'll go right to the main event, though. David Morrell Jr., KO 12 win against Eidos, your boss, Anuli. Uh, 16 year old fighter coming in from Kazakhstan. I had talked about his resume coming in. I thought it was a little uh, bumpy to say the least. He had been in there with some quality fighters, but never really rose to the top when he, when he stepped up in opposition, including in the amateurs. Uh, Thad on, on Friday called in, was said he was familiar with him, that he'd give Morell a challenge. I think he gave him a challenge in the sense that he was tough and he hung around, but that was about it. This fight was about as one sided as it could be real quick copy box punch numbers. Cause I know it's your favorite. Everyone Morel lands 237 of 607 total punches, including 54 body punches, 40% connect rate. You compare that to your boss, Anuli 82 of 535. So he threw almost as many punches, but landed about a third as many for 15%, a 15% connect percentage. Lands eight body punches, eight compared to 54. This was about as one-sided as a fight over 12 rounds as you could have that was deemed, quote-unquote, competitive because the fighter from Kazakhstan, uh, again, and I, I think I'm pronouncing this right, Idos Yurbasanuli, um, he came to fight. He wasn't going to give up. He never stopped trying, but he didn't win a round in this fight. It'd be hard to give him more than a round or two, right? It's pretty one-sided. I mentioned all that. Because your boss Anuli was dropped once in the 12th round. Finally, finally, and toward the end of that 12th round, the fight was stopped. He was bloodied. He was bruised. 
he was um, swollen. And it turns out he was badly concussed to where there was a brain injury. He was hospitalized right after the fight and, and placed into uh, a coma, a medically induced coma, I believe. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong in any of this, guys. Scores at the time of the stoppage, 108, 101, and 110 to 99 twice. So one of the judges gave your boss Anuli a couple rounds. The other two gave him zero rounds. So once again, I reiterate, this was about as one-sided as it could get. Tony Weeks was the referee. He's taking a lot of heat. He deserves it. Now, I've been saying on this show for actually the last few years that Tony Weeks is well past his best days. Great human being, great guy. He's had a great career in the sport of boxing. In his prime, he was one of the best referees in the business. He's still a name. He's deeply entrenched in the establishment, particularly the Nevada Commission and all that, you know. So he's well protected. But he has had several bad performances in recent years. And in a fight like this, where your Boston corner disgustingly did not protect their fighter. I mean, they should be suspended indefinitely. No fighter should work with them. No commission, no promoter, no network should work with that corner for at least a year or two until they can prove themselves again on the club show circuit. Let themselves, let them build themselves up on the club show circuit and see where they can go from there. But they should not be in any high profile televised card. And I'm talking about the entire team that was in that corner, but particularly the lead charge should not be in a televised card for at least a year or two. Disgusting. They almost killed a man Saturday night. But Tony Weeks, as the referee, you know, I was actually going to give him a break. And I, I posted a tweet today saying, you know, I hold him accountable, but I hold the corner more accountable, the commission over the overall in Minneapolis uh, accountable. And it was Ray Flores, uh, who's a great commentator, a friend to the show. Uh, I've spent time with Ray. He's a good guy. Um, that kind of corrected me and checked me and said, listen, I hold Tony Weeks accountable. He's the third man in the ring. He sees what's going on. He should have stopped that damn fight. And you know what? Ray checked me. He's right. He corrected me and I, I got to own it. Tony Weeks deserves some serious criticism here. I still blame the corner the most because you're supposed to know your fighter better than anybody else in the building. Uh, but Tony Weeks is the third man in the, in the ring and the referee's prime job. And this is where Ray corrected me is he said, look, their prime job is to protect the fighter. And he didn't do that. So as it stands right now, as at the time I'm recording this, uh, Idos, your boss, Anuli, is uh, in the hospital. And we don't know what's going to happen to him. But we know for certain his career will never be the same. And it's very, very possible his life will never be the same. And it's even possible that his life, he may lose it. Right? We see ring deaths all the time in this sport. That's what separates boxing from other martial arts. We don't see this in MMA. We don't see this in wrestling. We don't see this in kickboxing. We don't see the Muay Thai. We just don't. It only happens in boxing. And that, yes, are there isolated incidents in, in other sports? Sure. But most of the deaths, like e even in wrestling, which is fake. I mean, you know, I'm talking WWE and all that's That's scripted, right? I'm not trying to diss those guys, but it's scripted. Not that they're not athletes. They're not fighting because they are. They're, you know, they're, they're putting their bodies through a lot. But most of the deaths over there are outside the ring. The things that happen in these guys' personal lives because there's so much drugs and steroids in that world. 
uh, and it messes these guys up mentally. A lot of them have depression issues and things like that. I'm talking about actually in the ring, you know, uh, outside of some circus stunt accident in, in WWE, uh, you know, you look at these other sports, these guys don't die, but they do in boxing because you're taking blows to the head and boxers know how to protect themselves. So you can cover up and, and, and keep coming when you're taking punch after punch after punch. Again, according to CompuBox, 237 punches landed from David Morrell over 12 rounds. Uh, and, and he's a big, physical, athletic, hard-punching super middleweight uh, who's a top-rated guy. And your boss, Anuli, as I mentioned, he's been in with some co good competition, particularly in the amateurs, but he's always fallen short against the top guys, right? So, so this was a mismatch. And you have one guy who's hanging in there being real tough, sticking through, you know, with it. You got to save that guy from himself. So I hold the entire Minneapolis commission responsible here. I hold um, your boss, Anuli's team, the entire team responsible and Tony Weeks responsible. I'm also going to hold the promotion responsible and the network responsible. Yeah, I'm going there. I'm going there. Everybody involved in this failed to a certain degree and owes this man. And I just hope for all the virtue signaling that we get from Steven Espinoza, who loves to virtue signal and play Mr. Woke on Twitter. And I got nothing against Steven. He's always been good to me. I got nothing against him. But if you're playing Mr. Woke on Twitter and you're virtue signaling and you're, you're towing the line politically and calling it right down the left as you're supposed to, being a good boy, do the right thing here. Take care of this man. I'm not just talking about his fucking purse. Take care of his hospital bills. Put your money where your mouth is and take care of this guy and his family because he's in the fucking hospital because a card that you put on led to this man being hospitalized. All right. As for Dave Morrell Jr., uh, I'm not going to talk about his belt. It's, it's worthless. The shit I took this morning has more weight to it. But I like Dave Morrell Jr., and he's a player in that division. And I hope at some point, I do believe Caleb Plant and David Benavides Jr. are going to fight early next year. I believe them. I take them at their word. They're going to fight. I want to see Morrell against the winner. I really do, because I think that's going to be a fun fight, too. So I like David Morrell Jr. Uh, definitely a guy to keep an eye on. All right. Before I go any further, let's check on some Super Chats. We got one from Sam. Thank you so much, brother. Great friend to the show. He says, it's amazing. Less than a year ago, this boxing wizard was a five-to-one dog against Canelo. After this weekend, he's a top five pound-for-pound -pound surgeon. Talking about Dimitri Bevel, my pick for 2022 Fighter of the Year. Sam, I, it's crazy how things change so fast, right? This is definitely a guy that was not being given the credit he deserved. I'm going to pat myself on the back a little bit because I was one of the guys that was um, talking about Bevel's run several years back. Now, over the last year or two, before he got in the ring with Canelo this year, his resume had, had plateaued a little bit and his, his performances weren't very good because he wasn't inspired to get out there and really give it 100%. So, you know, he wasn't really fighting up to his top potential. But that run that he went on a few years back where he fought Pascal, Chalemba, uh, Smith, Barrera, you know, that was a really good run. And I was one of the guys talking about that, you know. Um, and I wrote a piece, I think, in 2017 in Ring Magazine about Bivol. Um, 
I think it was, I think we titled it Modern Fighter. I can't remember exactly, but just profiling his career and what he wanted to do. And I did several pieces on Ring's website about Bivol. I've covered his events both remotely and live in person. Uh, so I've been a guy who's followed his career pretty well. And I've communicated with him over the years, developed a relationship there. Um, I'm happy for the guy and what he's accomplishing right now. And everyone's kind of seeing the full potential. And I still don't think we've seen it 100% yet. I think we're going to actually see a better year from Bivol in 2023. More about that in just a minute. Super chat from Jack Altar. He says, just remember, I'm the first caller punk. Jack, geez. Oh, Jack, Jack, Jack. What am I going to do with you? Thank you so much for the super chat. Sam with another one. Thank you so much. He says, these quarter men think that if their guy is still punching, he can still win. But does punches have to have more pop? Sam, I totally agree with you. And, and you know what? Honestly, I think these corner men know better. Like, we've all seen the Rocky movies, right? And in the very end, Rocky pulls it out, right? He's basically bludgeoned to death by Ivan Drago and somehow pulls it out, right? He's you know, brought to the brink of death and comes back and beats this guy. Um, yeah, that's how the movies work, you know? But it doesn't happen in real life. Now, occasionally you get a Diego Corrales against Jose Luis Castillo. You know, Arturo Gatti pulled that sort of move uh, several times in his career. We've seen guys do that. We have. We actually saw a fight that was kind of like that this weekend, actually. But it doesn't have – you have to have the right fighter to pull that off. And I think this guy's corner had to know what they were dealing with. And you at least have to be able, as you said, Sam, to throw those hard shots. And you have to be with it. This guy doesn't punch hard. He just doesn't. And he wasn't landing his punches. According to CompuBox, CompuBox he landed 15% of his punches. He wasn't going to the body. He landed eight body punches the whole fight. So he wasn't opening anything up upstairs. He wasn't setting traps. There was no way he was going to win this damn fight. Could have been stopped in the seventh or eighth round. And I know that stopping a fight early and having that TKO loss on your record, it does affect a guy's marketability. I get that. And a lot of fighters don't want that to happen. But now look at you, dude. And even let's say your boss, Anuli, made it to the final bell. He did. He lost unanimous decision, but he didn't get knocked out. But he took that ass whooping. His career and his life still isn't the same. You know, uh, it, it, it just, man, these corners, these corners. Bad, 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 man. I see too much of this shit. One foot out the door with the super chat. Thank you so much. He said, want to show support for the show. Glad so, glad someone mentioned Tony Weeks' performance. Uh, well, thanks for the support, brother. Yeah, and, and look, man, I've talked about Tony many times. I mean, he's had some really bad nights at the office recently. It, 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 he's not the only one. Robert Bird's another one that comes to mind. Dude, these guys are when they're in their what 70s, I think. I think Tony Weeks is in his 70s. And it's commendable that at this age he still wants to get in there and you know, referee and stuff. Like, I give him credit for that, but dude, no, no. And these guys are making a lot of money. They're getting flown across the country, sometimes overseas to do international fights, they're being put up in the finest hotels. Sometimes they're going to these conventions different sanctioning organization conventions and stuff. These guys are being taken care of. They're living the high life. They're living the sweet life. So I get why they don't want to give it up. I understand. It's up to the authorities in boxing to say, listen, 
you have to be able to like, I think there should be a physical fitness test that referees can should pass because refereeing a boxing match, dude, this ain't a basketball game. This isn't being an umpire in a baseball game. This is a different thing. And there has to be a certain amount of physical ability that you need to have, but also mental aptitude and sharpness, quickness. And these guys need to be tested more often. And, and I don't want to be ageist, okay, because I'm accused of being somebody ists all the time for being critical of different things. Um, and all I'm trying to do is be fair and honest. But I'm going to be fair and honest here. On average, I know that this is going to be controversial. Trigger warning, okay? On average, a 40-year-old referee is going to be a little sharper and quicker and more with it than a 78-year-old referee. I know. I know. That sounds ageist. And I'm going to be pounded somewhere on Twitter. Some asshole is going to take that clip and have a field day with it. But you know what? It's the truth. Now, are there exceptions? Are there some 78-year-olds that could kick a 43-year-old's ass? Yes, there are. But most of the time, most of the time, that 43-year-old referee or that 28-year-old referee, that 52-year-old referee is going to be a little sharper and quicker than the 78-year-old establishment referee who's there to earn a paycheck. Yeah, I said it. Yeah. Just like uh, the average seven foot tall guy is going to probably be able to dunk better than the average midget. I know. Crazy. Somewhere out there, there's a four foot tall midget that can dunk from the foul line. But most of the time, they can't touch the rim. I'm just putting it out there. Okay. Super chat from Trent Nonpareil. Thank you so much, Trent. He says, yo, Mike, who you got? Parker or Ryder? Parker by KO. I completely agree with you, Trent. I got Parker by TKO. Late rounds in that fight. I actually like that fight a lot. That's a good domestic matchup. Uh, wow, Chris Bergen in the chat says uh, John Ryder to beat Parker. Ryder is underrated. All right, Chris. All right. If that happens, then uh, you called it. You called it. Sam A in the chat says uh, the ring doctor is just as guilty. Completely agree with you. And that's why I say the whole Minnesota commission should be held accountable for what took place Saturday. That includes the ring doctor because the commission brings all those folks in, right? So I'm looking at the entire commission, okay? It's not just uh, your boss and corner. It's not just, it's like I said before, I'm holding everyone accountable, including the network, that the, the promoter, everybody. It's not that the promoter or the network could have done anything in the moment. I'm looking at them. They put on this mismatch though. They did sign on to this mismatch and put it on. So they do have accountability. They do. This was a mismatch. But in the aftermath, I want to see them step up. I want to see the promotion, and I want to see the network, particularly those guys who are really loud on Twitter about certain um, topics. I'll just leave it there. I want to see those guys step up financially and take care of this man. Same thing with the sanctioning organization, by the way. WBA, they need to step their ass up too. Okay, um, let's go to Abu Dhabi, United Arab Emirates, and talk about the 2022 Fighter of the Year, Dimitri Bivol, scores a unanimous decision over Gilberto Zerdo Ramirez. The, the, the broadcast team on this own kept calling him Gilberto. Did I miss something? 
It's Gilberto, right? Gilberto Ramirez, not Gilberto. I just want to make sure I'm not messing that up. Correct me if I'm wrong. For Bivol, this was the ninth defense of his WBA 175-pound title. Real quick, I should mention on the undercard, Shevkat's uh, on Rakhimov. A uh, Los Angeles-based Tajikistan native scored a TKO nine win over Zelfa Barrett from the UK. Wins a vacant junior lightweight belt. This was the fight that I mentioned earlier. The example of a guy that was losing, came from behind, scored a stoppage. But if you look at the rhythm of this fight between Rakimov and Barrett, and you compare it to what we saw in Morel Yerbasanuli, completely different, right? Completely different. Even though Barrett started very well against Rakamov, it was not at all the same as what Morel was doing against your boss Anuli, right? So two completely different fights. And if the corner, if your boss Anuli's corner thought that they could pull off what Rakamov pulled off, they're smoking crack because their fighter wasn't in the fight nearly as much as Rakamov was early against Barrett, even though Barrett had a good start, right? So anyway, Rakimov gets that W, wins a vacant title at 130 pounds. In the co-main, Chantel Cameron, Il Capo, which means the boss in Italian. Uh, this woman's from the UK. I'm not sure why she has an Italian nickname. Can anyone explain that to me? But Chantel Cameron, maybe her mother's Italian. She's part Italian or something. But Il Capo scored a unanimous decision win over Jessica McCaskill. Uh, wins the undisputed junior welterweight championship, which I mentioned last week. I think like three of the four belts were vacant. So great accomplishment, looks awesome on paper, but in fairness, all these belts came together. Eddie Hearn, the promoter, was able to negotiate his magic with the sanctioning organizations. They all pointed up their belts. I like it. I like that we have an undisputed champ at 140, but let's be clear. These belts are all thrown in, most of them. This is a vacant belt special, right? This is kind of what Clarissa Shields has done in her undisputed championship reigns for the most part. So if I'm going to call Clarissa Shields out on it, I have to call out Il Capo when she does it too. Not that it's on the fighters. I'm just saying it's on the promotion. Just want to put that out there, make it clear. Um, thought The fight wasn't fought at a very high skill level. Chantel Cameron, I should say, fought pretty intelligently, pretty smart, showed some skills in there. Jessica McCaskill did not look good. I was surprised. Um, Got going the last two or three rounds and really won a couple rounds there in the end, put some leather on Cameron. But the first five, six rounds of this fight just did not look good. I don't know what was going on there. But as it stands, McCaskill is still the undisputed 147 champion. She dethroned Cecilia Brekus, which was a fantastic win, did that twice. Deserves massive credit for that. So, and also McCaskill deserves credit for competing in three different divisions against the best in the world. Katie Taylor came up short, Cecilia Bracus won, and now Chantel Cameron, who I think is a top 10 pound for pound, maybe top five in women's boxing right now with this performance. Um, so, so props to McCaskill. She's still the 147 champion. Cameron said that perhaps she'd like to do a rematch at 147 to go for that championship as well. So she could be the 140 and 147 undisputed champion. We'll see what happens there. All right, back to the main event. So Dimitri Bevel. Look, I, I thought this was like a 119, 109 kind of fight. It was hard to give Zerto Ramirez more than the round. And I was tweeting that during this fight. And there were some people getting mad at me. Nah, you crazy. Zerto's won at least three or four rounds. 
I, I swear some of you guys just want to make these fights closer than they are sometimes. Um, it, it, we've all been there before. We've all been guilty of it. I have two at different times. What I saw was one guy just being a step ahead of the other. And into the second half of the fight, the middle rounds into the late rounds, one guy just outclassing the other. A lot was made about the size difference and it was apparent. It was apparent. And people were like, why isn't Zerto backing Bevel up? Why isn't he pushing him into the ropes and getting physical? Guys, I think Zerto wanted to do those things. I think he was trying his best. It's not that like he went in there and wanted to lose. The guy didn't come in to lose this fight. He was doing everything he possibly could. He was just in there with a fighter that was so much better than him at everything, including power. I actually think Bevel hits harder than Zerto even though Zerto is a heavyweight. He came into the ring as, as an actual heavyweight, he's over 200 pounds, bridger weight, whatever you want to call it, um, a blown-up cruiserweight, whatever. Clearly the bigger guy, stronger physically and everything, but technique, skills, straighter punches over wider punches, punches thrown with proper technique, right? Turning over on them, putting your butt into the punches, turning your foot over, all that. That's what Bivol does. He also has beautiful movement where he shoots punches coming in, shifting his weight to the front foot, and then he can throw punches fluidly, shifting weight back to that rear foot. And he can also do it as he shifts to his left and to his right. And that is how he is able to stay in the pocket with a fighter, make them miss with very subtle movement, and then connect. And also one thing Bivol does great, and this is something that uh, I haven't heard a lot of people talk about, he has the best patience in the sport right now. Maybe the only guy who gets close to me is maybe Shakur Stevenson. But what Bivol does, it's so impressive. And there's clips of this. You guys can watch it. He will be disciplined when he's standing there in the pocket with a guy and a dude is just fainting with him, trying to bait Bivol into throwing. And this is something that a lot of fighters get baited into, particularly when a crowd starts booing, people are getting restless. Bivol won't fall for the bait. If he does, it's one punch and back quickly on that front foot and back on the rear foot. But what he'll normally do is wait for you, bait you into finally shooting. And that's what Canelo did. And that's what uh, Zerto did here. And these guys will get off a combo and Bivol will catch the shots. It's not like he rolls and slips a whole lot of them. He does sometimes he does, but he catches a lot of them on the gloves, forearms, even on the shoulders and stuff. He'll take it on the arms, whatever. Then he gets off. He's very, very patient in the pocket, in the mid-range, letting his opponent get off. Then he gets off, and then he uses his footwork to get out of range again. He's defensive. I would actually describe Dimitri Bevel as a defensive technician like Floyd Mayweather. That, that's his mentality. Defensive technician, counterpuncher, pot shotter. But what makes him different than Floyd and way more fun to watch is he will punch in combination. He will be patient, wait for you to make a mistake, catch it, boom, 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 then get off. And when he gets off, he's shooting six or seven punches sometimes. And a lot of it is one-twos. But one thing that's real pretty that, that he does, he pushes on that front foot with one-two, 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 right? But then when he comes back, when he pulls back, he shoots a little scooping little left hook as he pulls back. So it's boom, 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 and then scoops back and then shoots a right. Or he'll scoop back, 
on that with that scooping left hook and then shoot a jab straight into your face or to your chest. He finishes with that as so as he's shifting his weight back to make his retreat, he's punching. He's not just punching on the way in, he's punching on the way out. And he doesn't have to move a whole lot to do it. He just lets his hands go, stays on balance, and simply shifts his weight, but punches while he does it. So by the time his opponent is ready to counter, Dimitri is out of range, or he's not in the same place he was when he started the combination. What Floyd would do is Floyd would make you make a mistake and shoot a stinging right hand down the middle and then get out or a hard jab and snap your head back and then roll out. That's all he did. Boom, one punch, maybe two, out of there. Dimitri will catch your combination, shoot five or six punches, then get out. And he does it in such a way to where it doesn't look like he's running. He, he's not just you know darting across the ring like a guy like Floyd would do, or just doing the shoulder roll where he's keeping his head away from you, right? He's getting off and he is right there still in mid-range most of the time. And if you shoot, he does that little hop back. He's very quick with his feet. So he's still there in mid-range. If you shoot something, he'll hop back and then boom, boom, one, two, right back on you. Just really, really pretty movement. It's really fun to watch and study him. And it's very unique. It's not like anything else that's out there right now. Um, and it's effective. And what's so impressive is, you know, he did it against Canelo Alvarez. And a lot of people are saying, oh, it's only the size difference. That he it had nothing to do with skills. It's, it's a lot. Of, a lot of the same people that say that about what Loma's win over Rigondio uh, in recent years. It was the same thing. Oh, it's just size. It's just size, right? Um, no, because <laughs> Canelo's fought a lot of bigger guys and he's smoked them. Some had uh, won a couple rounds and stuff like Caleb Plant, but he still smoked them and outclassed them. Um, Caleb Plant, uh, Billy Joe Saunders, on and on and on. The list goes. Yet he couldn't do that against Bivol. And he basically fought the same way he fought against those guys. It didn't work against Bivol because of everything I described. Um, now, Bivol laid down the ropes against Canelo, and he did not do that against Zerto. He wasn't dumb. So against a smaller guy, he was able to lay on the ropes. Yes, that size did play a factor in that regard. Against Zerto, you know, everything people said about this huge size advantage Bivol had against Canelo – Zerto had a bigger size advantage against Bivol. Yet, Bivol changed tactics just enough where he stayed in the center of the ring, and instead of running and moving back, he pushed this dude forward. He, oh, I'm sorry, he pushed forward and pushed Zerto back. It was really, really impressive, man. Uh, at no point in the fight did I see Zerto push Dimitri Bivol back. I didn't see Bivol on the ropes once. I didn't see him clinching, running. Any of that nonsense. And again, I go back to the defensive technician thing, right? That's the that's the term that's used. And I look at some of these defensive technicians over the years, especially Floyd. And I look at some of Floyd's, you know, biggest fights and what he did against these guys. And it was, it was not nearly as entertaining because of his tactics. Effective, highly effective, but this fight with Bivol was a lot more entertaining this last couple fights. Not that, look, I'm not calling it Gotti Ward. Obviously it wasn't. And there were people on Twitter saying, this looks like a glorified sparring session. Well, if you're Dimitri Bivol, why would you do anything more than what he was doing? It's not like he 
shot one punch at a time and ran for the rest of the round. He took risks. He just didn't take stupid risks. He didn't take over-the-top risks. He did enough, and I actually think he did more than what was required to win a lot of these rounds because he had won most of these rounds within the first minute, and he could have ran for the rest of the round and pulled a Floyd Mayweather, an early years, Irizlandi Lara, guys like that. He didn't do that. He kept pushing through the end of the round, and he was trying to knock this guy out toward the end of the fight. He actually hurt him and wobbled him several times. For a light heavyweight who could make super middleweight, Dimitri's been telling me for years he could make super middleweight. For him to almost knock out a 203-pound man, it's pretty impressive. Guys, Deontay Wilder in his last fight weighed, what, 215? So, so think about this. Zerto Ramirez was 10 pounds lighter about than Deontay Wilder in his last fight. Would you expect Dimitri Bevel to knock out Deontay Wilder? So, so, so why is it such a shock? And I know it's not apples to apples. Stick with me, guys. But why is it such a shock that he didn't knock out Zerto Ramirez, who's always showed a good chin? I, I, I was thoroughly impressed with this performance. And so a couple things. First of all, fighter of the year. I think Dimitri Bevel has it locked. Uh, some people may disagree. That's fine. It's all good, right? Here are the other candidates. And I wanted to pull this up. I actually got a little banner here. So there we go. There's my names. There's my list for those of you watching the video of my other candidates. Let's talk about, because I tweeted about this and the Bam Rodriguez fans got really mad at me because everyone gets mad at everything I tweet. <laughs> That's Twitter. But they said, look, how could you say Dimitri Bevel is the fighter of the year? What about Bam Rodriguez? He had these three great wins. Listen, I agree. I, I think Bam Rodriguez is probably number two behind Bevel on my list for fighter of the year. But if we dissect these wins, okay, and this is nothing against Bam. I'm a huge fan of that kid. He's going to be a, a star of the, the lower weight divisions. He's already like budding as a star. His star is only going to get brighter. But when he beat Carlos Quadras, okay, Carlos Quadras going back to 2016, this is going back six years, has won four of his last nine fights. He is literally four in five in his last nine fights going back six years. You have to go back a long time, years, to find the last time Carlos Quadras beat a high-level opponent, okay? Srisakit Sorungvisai, very similar thing. His last top win is I think he beat Estrada by split decision, majority decision. It was really close. Back in 2018, you got to go back four years since Rungvisai beat a top-level fighter. He's been hiding out in Thailand, fighting like eight rounders, fighting zero-star opponents over there, uh, just as stay-busy, money-making kind of fights. And if that's that's his prerogative, good for him. But I'm just saying, you got to go back four years the last time he beat a top-level fighter. So those are great wins for Jesse Bam Rodriguez at this stage of his career. Outstanding wins. But I can't put those wins and then a win against a journeyman-level opponent in Israel Gonzalez. I can't put that ahead of beating Canelo Alvarez in Las Vegas, a Russian during everything that's going on politically in this country, 
the last five years, but particularly this year, fighting in Las Vegas against a guy who runs Las Vegas, Canelo Alvarez, and giving him the fucking business. And then going overseas and beating Gilberto Zerto Ramirez, a guy that was much, much larger, 20 plus pounds heavier, undefeated former title holder. Okay. I can't rate what Bam Rodriguez did against these faded, well past their best, four plus years away, three, four plus years away from a top win level opponents. I can't. And if you're being honest, you can't too. Other candidates. Alexander Usyk, I've talked about this. Um, love Alexander Usyk, I think he's the best pound-for-pound -pound fighter in the world right now. I think he has the best pound-for-pound -pound win of the year against Anthony Joshua when you look at the fact that he was going up against the establishment, fighting this guy in his backyard. That's Fighting Canelo in Vegas, it's the same thing as fighting um, uh, Anthony Joshua in his backyard promotionally, okay? And uh, this guy weighs 50 pounds more than him naturally beat him again, coming off of a layoff, coming off of a fucking war, has the best pound-for-pound -pound win of the year, but it's just one fight. I can't put that ahead of Dimitri Bevel. Devin Haney, undisputed champion. Jermel Charlo, undisputed champion. But Haney beat a guy that was not, was a, a little better maybe than Gilberto Ramirez, certainly not on the level of Canelo Alvarez. And for Jermel Charlo, he only fought once this year. That doesn't cut it. Now, if Chocolatito beats Estrada, he has two good wins this year, right? Two really, really good wins. Still doesn't outrate. I, I can't put him ahead of Bivol. I just can't. And last but not least, Nayoya Inoue. Now, he's interesting. Knocks out uh, Nonito Donaire, Hall of Famer. And then I think he's going to spark Paul Butler. I really, really do. And he's going to become undisputed. So he'll have the undisputed claim. Um, he's certainly going to be right up there. He's going to be like number three on my list. It's probably going to be Bivol and then um, Bam, and then probably number three is going to be Inouye. I rate Inouye higher pound for pound than Bivol, but I can't give him fighter of the year over what Bivol's done. Okay, so speaking of pound for pound, let's segue into that. Where do you rate Dimitri Bivol pound for pound? If you don't have him in your top five right now, you're dumb. You're stupid. You're not a real boxing fan. Sorry, I'm just going to put it out there. He's in the top five. You have to put him there right now based upon what he's done. Okay. I'm not saying he's number one, number two, number three. top five though. If you got him right there, right at number five, good. That's probably right about where he needs to be. I put Usyk higher. I put Inoue higher. I put guys like that higher because they've done the undisputed thing. And that's my biggest criticism now of Bivol. He's fought, he's beat a lot of B-level guys and a few A-level guys now and one pound-for-pound -pound level guy now. Now he's got to do the next thing. Unify, go for undisputed. That's what's missing from his resume now, okay? He has mentioned the possibility of going down to 168 to fight, to do the rematch with Canelo next spring for the undisputed super middleweight championship. If he wants to do that, awesome. But a rematch between him and Canelo at 175, I have zero interest in it. Zero. At 168, I'm interested. If he does that, if he moves down to 168, beats Canelo there, becomes the super middleweight, undisputed super middleweight champion, 
Uh, then he goes higher on the pound for pound list. If this is a big if, okay, but if Dimitri Bevel goes down to 168, and next May around Cinco de Mayo fights Canelo, wins undisputed there, then moves back up to 175, fights Arthur Baturbiev after he knocks out Anthony Yard because he has a mandatory defense against Yard. He's going to knock Yard out. If he goes up to 175 and fights Baturbiev, and it becomes undisputed there next fall. So he's simultaneously undisputed at 168 and 175. Guys, we are talking about probably the pound-for-pound pound best fighter on earth at that time, okay? So a lot has to happen for that to take place. I'm just putting it out there in the universe. Uh, real quick, before I got to say one more thing um, about Dimitri Bivol and how it relates to resumes. But first... Let's do some super chats. Let's do some super chats. We got a big one from BK Ron. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, brother. He says, Mike, currently on break from work. So I'll get this out there and then rewatch. Semper Fi, happy Marine Corps birthday and Veterans Day. It's coming up. It's coming up. Uh, he says fantasy matchup Duran versus Chavez at 135. Blessing as always to you and your family. Man, I love the fantasy matchup. Um, this is gonna be unfamiliar with or um unpopular with my audience. I'm taking Duran in that fight. Love Chavez, great fighter, best fighter ever out of Mexico. I just think Duran had more levels, and it'd be a barn burner. It's going the distance. Both men are going to have their moments. I'm taking Duran in that fight. And I know that may, might not be popular. I might get shit on. People are going to be triggered. I like Duran in that fight. Sam A with another super chat. Thanks again. He said, Bivol told MJP that it wasn't a, sh a shutout, maybe 9-3. I don't know who MJP is, but um, okay, fine. Nine rounds. L listen, Bivol is a uh, a very humble guy. He, he means business in the ring. He's a killer in there, but he's a humble guy. So if he said 9-3, that's fine. I, listen, 118, 110, good scorecard for me. But I saw people saying it was 8-4, 7-5. Stop. Just stop. And Sam with another one, thanks again. He says, reminds me of Bernard Hopkins. Stands right there. There's a great comparison. Uh, B-Hop, though, again, would do... Biapa would do dirty things, right? He would use his forearms. He'd headbutt. He'd hit and hold. He'd uh, st step on your foot, which Bivol did do to Zerto several times Saturday. He'd do that kind of stuff where they're called in America veteran tactics, quote unquote. But he'd also do the pot shot. He'd punch you once and get out. He'd make you miss, make you mess up, punch you once and be out. Um, now, at 160, maybe a little bit more than that. But um, once he got up to 75, yeah, it was kind of, which I understood, right? Because it, it wasn't his best natural weight, but it'd be a pot shot, make you miss, boom, maybe one, two, and then he's out. Um, but you are correct in the sense that he could stand right there in the pocket, make you miss, connect with something. Uh, he just did it a little bit differently. Uh, Chris Bird's, I don't know if you remember Chris Bird at heavyweight, he could stand right in front of you, but he did it with head movement. He, he had beautiful, beautiful head movement. <clears throat> All right, I know I, I saw 
Yeah, saw some other ones. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, Anthony Santiago, thank you so much, Ant, with the super chat. He says, Lion is not the biggest animal in the jungle, but he's the king. Fighter of the year, Dimitri Bivol, praise for your boss, Anuli. Yeah, I, he did say something like that in the post-fight presser, right? Uh, I, I love that quote. Um, it, and it's absolutely, it, it's the best way to describe that fight because if you look at the guy who is controlling the center of the ring, controlling the real estate, uh, pressing the fight, um, controlling the rhythm, the pace that it, you know, it was fought at, dude, that was Bivol from the opening round. It was the same way when he fought Canelo. Yet, he did it slightly differently. Again, against Canelo, he laid on the ropes. Let Canelo tee off, then he responded because he did not have the hand speed advantage against Canelo. He had to use timing against him, right? But against Zerto, he did have the hand speed advantage. So he was able to get off first at times uh, and stay in the center of the ring. It was just, he, he showed the ability to fight in different ways, slight, very slight nuances, but different ways of getting the win. And being dominant. And let's be honest, he made Gilberto Ramirez look absolutely ordinary. And then he made Canelo look average at best at times in their fight. So, so uh, not that I'm comparing the two fighters, obviously, but um, that's special, dude. That's pound for pound. Aaron with another super chat. Thank you so much. This is Aaron's first of the show. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you so much. He says, every boxer who gets interviewed by Mike, the man, Montero, ends up winning in spectacular fashion. Damn, dude, you're right. <laughs> every uh, every guy I've interviewed lately has done very, very well in your next fight. Hmm. We got to keep that streak going, bro. We got to keep that streak going, man. If we could get that into like double digits or it's like 10, 20 in a row like that, hey, we'll be on to something. All right, I think we're caught up. Let me make sure, because I got another rant to go on that's going to trigger people. I'm going to compare some resumes because, again, I tweeted something this weekend that struck a chord with people. Dimitri Bivol has now had 21 pro fights. Zerto Ramirez has now had 45 pro fights. Uh, Bivol went pro in 2014, eight years ago. Zerto went pro in 2009, 13 years ago. So this got me thinking about quality over quantity and how there are fighters from particular parts of the world. Again, there are always exceptions, but I'm seeing trends, and I know I'm not alone, of fighters coming from certain parts of the world, mostly Eastern Europe and Central Asia, if we're being honest, coming over to the States, because in years past, they stayed over in their part of the world. Now they're coming here. They're relocating here. They're training and fighting mostly out of LA, that area, Southern California. And um, they're, they're, spending, they're splitting their time between their homeland and here in the United States, fighting on a big stage, whether it be here in America or over in the, in the UK or, you know, Bivol just fought in the UAE, wherever it may be. And they are getting on the world stage to the elite level of boxing in less than 20 fights. Meanwhile, other fighters based in North America, and I'm including Mexican fighters in this. Oh boy, am I stepping in it this week. It's not just American fighters. It's Mexican fighters too. Not all, 
not all. But if we look at guys like Gilberto Ramirez and Jaime Munguia, these guys have twice the amount of fights of Dimitri Bivol and haven't accomplished half of what he has. So let's take a look at this. Again, Bivol went pro in 2014. Uh, in the amateurs, was 268 and 15, nearly 300 amateur fights, okay? And he now has nine title defenses. Now, he beat a journeyman to get the belt. It was nonsense, typical WBA bullshit. But look at who he has fought and beat since then. Chalembo, Pascal, Smith, Canelo, Zerto. Those are the biggest names. It's a pretty good run. Nine title defenses. So he's fought in uh, 10 title fights, nine defenses in his 21 pro fights. And he's done that since 2014. Compare that to Zerto Ramirez. 45 fights, went pro in 2019. But you know what? I could take this further. Compare it to Jermall Charlo. Not Jermall, but Jermall. He has 32 pro fights. He went pro in 2008. Yes, you heard me correctly. Jermall Charlo went pro in 2008. That dude only has 32 fights, and he ain't fought half the opposition Bivol has. Now, because of the politics of boxing, Jamal Charlo is marketed as a two-division champion. So in the eyes of some casual boxing fans and some biased boxing observers, particularly on YouTube, they see Jamal Charlo as a superior fighter with a superior resume. This guy's been pro since 2008, 32 pro fights, and yes, does have belts in two different divisions. But look at who Bivol has fought and beat and how he's beat them. Yes, only one division. But look at the names, dude. And he's done it four, I'm sorry, six less years as a pro and 11 less fights than Jamal Charlo. Let's take it further. How about Demetrius Andrade? He went pro in 2008. He's a two-division champion. Soon to be three-division champion. He will wiggle his ass into a, a belt at 168 eventually. He will. It'll be interim or something, but he will. Trust me. Politics of boxing. This guy has 31 pro fights. Been a pro for 14 years. He has 31 fights. And look who he's fought. And he's marketed as a two-division, soon-to-be three-division champion. Look at what Dimitri Bivol has done in 21 fights. I'm going to bring up this name. There's one guy in the comments that always freaks out when I bring up this name. You're about to shit a brick, my friend. Deontay Wilder. Went pro in 2008. Same year. Jamal Charlo, Demetrius Andre went pro. He has 46 fights. Look at his resume compared to Dimitri Bivol, who went pro six years later. I'm going to take this further. Vasily Lomachenko went pro in 2013. So did Alexander Usyk. 2013. They haven't even been pros for 10 years. Okay. Lomo only has 19 fights. Usyk only has 20 fights. Look at what those men have accomplished in 19 pro fights, 20 pro fights, and for Bivol, 21 pro fights. Let's compare that to Jaime Munguia. Went pro in 2013, has 40 pro fights. Look at his resume. How about David Benavidez? He went pro in 2013 as well, has 26 pro fights. Look at his resume. Here's another name that's going to make some of your buttholes pucker up. 
Gervonta Tank Davis, he went pro in 2013. He has 27 pro fights. Look at his resume. So Munguia Benavidez Davis all went pro the same year Lomachenko and Usyk did. Who's more accomplished? And I'm not even talking about the amateur careers because what Loma and Usyk did in the amateurs with the Olympics, the medals, all that, obviously dwarfs what those fighters have done in the amateurs. I'm talking pro. These guys all went pro the same year. I'm going to repeat these names. Loma and Usyk over here. On the other side, Munguia, Benavidez, Javante Davis. Crazy, right? I had to bring this up. And I know it's going to be ripped apart and people are going to make something out of it, which it's not. Um, they're going to find things there that really aren't there. All I'm doing, guys, is I'm bringing up an issue I see in American boxing in the way American promoters do business. Now, Jaime Munguia, Gilberto Ramirez, they're not American, they're Mexican, but they've been promoted by American promoters. They fought on American television, right? American platforms. So I consider them part of the North American boxing establishment, if you will. And I consider them to be part of the problem, okay? Um, these guys are fighting 30, 40 times and the substance isn't there. These guys from overseas who get a lot of criticism and a lot of flack, I'll stick with Lomachenko. This is a guy who's held, held belts and titles in three different weights. He's cleaned out divisions. He's had to move up in weights because guys were ducking him at 26, 30. He's had to fight unnatural, uh, unnaturally larger weight than he should be fighting at just to get fights. It's about quality over quantity. And I hope that these guys from overseas that come here and they keep doing this and succeeding. And these guys with 15 fights, 20 fights, 25 fights are beating guys with 40, 45 fights. I hope it starts to click with American prospects and American promoters, especially American networks that, Hey, we don't have to wait till a guy's 35 and 0 to step him up. We don't have to put a guy on pay-per-view against journeyman 10 times to, before we step them up. Man, we can step these guys up in their 12th fight, their 15th fight. We can we can bump them up. I uh, Look at Jerron Boots Ennis's resume. He's got 20-something fights so far. He hasn't fought anybody. And he's he might be the most talented fighter in all of boxing right now, at least in American boxing. Certainly. Uh, he's up there. Crazy potential. And he hasn't fought anybody yet. So, so I bring this up because it's something that I don't hear anybody else talk about. It's It just clicked this weekend when I saw, when I looked at Gilberto Ramirez, Dimitri Bivo, and I looked at their resumes and compared them. I'm like, man, look, look at the difference uh, in the, the quality versus the quantity in these two resumes and how it played out in the ring when they finally met in the ring. Um, and we've seen examples of this many times when, Lomachenko fought Gary Russell Jr. That was another eye-opener where a lot of people are like, whoa, okay. So I just hope we see American fighters step up earlier and just get to it, man. There's no reason to pad the damn resume anymore. There's 5,000 belts out there, man. There's just no reason. It doesn't make any sense. Okay. Now that I've triggered thousands of people out there, it's uh. Make sure I'm not missing any super chats before I go forward. Sam A with another super chat. Thank you so much, Sam. He said, I had Bivol in both fights. He is awesome. 
But that Chechen monster is a completely different animal, can knock you out at any point of a fight. Yeah, listen, dude, um, I completely agree. Uh, Bivol versus Beterbiev or Beterbiev, however you pronounce it, is going to be awesome. I really hope we get it. But I got to say, um, styles make fights. And Bivol's style is going to give better Bev fits. But as you said, better Bev is dangerous until that final bell. And when he lands punches on the arms, on the shoulders, like Canelo did, when better Bev lands those punches, they're going to do damage. So that is just a fascinating matchup. It might be the best fight that could be made in all of boxing. If and when it does happen, it's not going to be on pay-per-view. It's going to be on regular DAZN or ESPN, wherever it is. Um, it's it's going to symbolize everything that uh, we love in, in boxing. And uh, I, I really hope we get it. And look, if, if we get, imagine if in 2023, we get Crawford and Spence, we get Fury and Usyk, and then we get perhaps a rematch between Bivol and Canelo at 168, and then we get Bivol and Baturbiev at 175. Dude, and then we get the Taylor Serrano re uh, rematch. Not bad, not bad. I'm just saying that'd be a pretty damn good year. Okay, um, time to do the preview, guys. Time to do the preview. So we got some stuff coming on, uh, going on this weekend. None of these are big fights though, but some of them should be fun. So. Uh, Friday, November 11th in Sheffield, England, Sonny Edwards defending his IBF flyweight title for the third time against tough, rugged Nicaraguan Felix Alvarado in terms of styles. That should be a fun fight. Pure boxer versus like rugged brawler stalker type. That should be fun. And there'll be in England. The crowd should be into it. Look forward to checking that out. And then Saturday, November 12th, we got a few different fights. Um, Starting over in England, Manchester, that is, on the zone, Natasha Jonas going up against Marie Eve Dicker, uh, three belt junior middleweight unification. So Jonas, I think, has two of the belts, and then uh, Dicker has the other belts, and I think they're going to unify three of them. So I think Jonas um, has been in a pretty good run lately. You know, she had lost a couple. Uh, before, but she's been a pretty good run lately. I like Jonas a lot as, as a personality. She seems like a really cool person, just a cool human being, uh, always gives her all. And um, that should be good stuff. Also on the zone, uh, I should mention that Jonas DKR fight that's on the zone. And also on the zone, they have a card in America, Matchroom USA, a card in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, Prospect Montana Love. 140-pound prospect going up against Australian native Stevie Spark, who had only stepped up once in his career, but it was at 154. He fought all the way up at 154 against Tim Zhu and was stopped in three rounds last year. He is melting back down to 140 to fight Montana Love. This is a showcase fight if I ever saw one. The crowd there in Cleveland is going to eat it up when Love absolutely sparks Spark. That's what I expect to see here. And then uh, Top Rank has a show in Las Vegas. This, of course, on ESPN, the plus the app. And it shows the uh, features, I should say, the ring return of Senecio Estrada, super bad. Senecio Estrada from Los Angeles going up against Argentinian Jasmine Gala 
Viarino. This is the second defense of Estrada's WBA minimum weight belt. And this is coming off, I think, um, the longest layoff of Estrada's career. Once she got established, she had a really long layoff right at the very beginning of her career. But since that time, she's been very busy. Since like 2014, I think, and on, she's been very busy fighting several times a year. She hasn't fought since last, I want to say either November or December. So it's coming off almost an entire year out of the ring. Switch promoters. She wasn't happy with what Golden Boy Promotions was doing with her. I find this to be really interesting because she signed with top rank. And Bob Arum, a couple years ago, shat all over women's boxing, wanted nothing to do with it. He's like, we don't have women boxing because no one cares. No one gives a shit. Ends up signing Michaela Mayer and doing pretty good business with her, especially with this card that just had over in uh, in England, and now signs Sinicio Estrada out of Los Angeles, and uh, she's very well known in LA. She's known in all the gyms. The fans there know her and love her very, very well. Um, she's just been part. I mean, she's been boxing since she was a kid, so fighting in the amateurs around there, and you know, working out in all the gyms and stuff. Um, myself, you know, me and my wife, we met her years ago. Um, I think they were doing a photo shoot. I can't remember the gym. It was in South LA. We were in South Los Angeles. And um, Tiff and I were in the shoot. We, we, you know, wrapped our hands and were smashing the bag. And they were taking pictures of us. And, and Superbad was there. We met her and her whole team. And they were super cool. And this was before she really got known. So we kind of knew her before she was known outside of LA. And it's been fun to watch her blossom and grow does a good job on commentary. And um, I think she could be the best women's fighter right now, pound for pound. She she has all the skills and everything like that. Um, and uh, it's going to be fun to watch what she can do with top rank. Again, she was with Golden Boy, who are based in LA and specialize in marketing to the Mexican-American fan base. The fact that Sinicia Estrada, who's Mexican-American herself, LA native, was unhappy with them and ends up signing with top rank who until very recently was shitting all over women's boxing. Very interesting the way these things can change, but her and Bob Aaron right now are buddy, buddy. And I think Bob has a plan for her. I think Bob has woken up that, Hey, this is a segment of the boxing community that's growing. These fights are very affordable to put on. There's good bang for your buck. If you can market it the right way. And uh, he's signed on. So, I fully expect Estrada to become um, a regular on ESPN, ESPN plus. She is straight out of central casting for, you know, what ESPN would love to promote. And I, I think that she has a great personality, great in the camera. She's going to do well with them. She really, really is. Biggest issue for her is going to be lack of opponents. Um, but in those weight divisions, she fights like she could fight anywhere from 105, 108, 112. Um, they just need to keep her busy keep her fighting for belts, you know, and, and I think top rank is going to be able to shift the narrative to, to get her into unification fights. So it's going to be fun to watch her fight. She's pretty awesome, man. In the main event, Jenna Beck, Alam Kanala going up against London native Denzel Bentley. Uh, this is another showcase for you ass. This is uh, for the WBO middleweight belt that uh, Alam Kanala didn't win in the ring because Demetrius Andre flat out ducked him. Went to 168. Somehow he thinks he's getting a Canelo fight. He knows he's not. He just didn't want to fight Alan Canela. 
can't say I don't, you know, I, I blame him. You know, I can't say I blame him, but um, he's looking for a softer touch at 168. Then he can market himself as a three-way champion. And it, it'll work out for Andre. It will. Politics of boxing. But for all of Kanoa, this is a showcase fight. Uh, Bentley from London. This is his first fight outside of England, I do believe. And it's going to be a tough flight back to jolly old England after this one. Because I expect Janabek to do his thing. And uh, he is going to be a major player in that middleweight division for years to come. Okay. 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 Boy, that was a mouthful to get through all that, huh? Well, I say we're ready for some calls. So let's see what we got. We're going to go right to this first one here. I'm going to jump to three, three, six. You're on the show. What's up? Yo, 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 Mike, what up? What's up, BLT? How you doing, brother? 110% every day, every week. You know how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I concur everything you said. I'm not going to repeat anything. Bivol. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I was trying to remember Chris Bird, man. I was like, damn, he reminds me of somebody. Yeah, like, Chris yeah, Bird, right? Chris Bird. That's who he reminds me of. I was trying to remember, like, Sunday and today. I'm like, damn, what, who does he remind me of? Stays in there. Just has that move and then boom, boom, boom. Yeah, it's like often that. rapid combinations, yeah, yeah, boom, boom, know. boom. I love Chris Bird. Yeah. He, wonderful human being, a really good guy. And he, he, what he was yeah. able to do at heavyweight, I think he's just an underrated, underappreciated fighter. I always like Chris. <laughs> yeah, I like him a lot because he proved, yo, I can move up there and deal with these big motherfuckers. Yeah, yeah. And he did. But yo, of course, it came to a point where... <laughs> It starts to fade and you start to get clocked. And that's how that's how that goes. Yeah. But yeah, way underrated. But anyway, like I said, I concur. I'm not going to repeat anything. But uh, y'all know, how's the baby working out, brother? <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I, I'm not uh, I'm not sleeping that much these days, bro. But uh, <laughs> we're two weeks in, man. She, she turned two weeks old Sunday, so. Uh, we're yeah. on week three now, and uh, it's getting better. It's getting better, but man, I'm I'm just tired all the time, man. I'm tired all the time. But um, I gotta get back in the gym soon, man. That's what I miss, man. It's just it's just training. I miss it. Listen to me. Cherish every moment with that child, brother. Absolutely, man. Because man, that time goes by so fast. They told me that 20, 30 years ago, and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's 20, 30 years later. I'm like, damn. Wow. <laughs> ah shit they were right <laughs> right yeah 100 every single moment anyway it's been a pump pleasing pleasure my brother you're on point as usual and i'm gonna go and uh <laughs> i watched it just this weekend man pop the free <laughs> pop, pop the bills man that was a good that was a good game anyway oh yeah <laughs> Yeah, Jets look good, yeah, I like man. That. I, that's the best Jets team I've seen in my lifetime. So, yo, yo, they working. So, yeah, Jets and Giants are gone. They moving nice. So, we gonna yeah. see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> I, man. Uh, I right, Have a good week, brother. I say, yo, enjoy, brother. All right, man. Peace. There it goes, BLT. BLT's calls are epic on this show. Epic. He's a legend. Speaking of legend. We're going to go to Nacho. Nacho, what's up, man? Hey, Mike. What's going on? 
Oh man, I just I, I want a nap. <laughs> I just want to take a nap. Other than that, I'm good, man. Oh okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you you definitely uh, need one. You definitely sound like you're run down, but yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, eventually, I'm sure she'll she'll figure she'll figure that she needs the you guys to get some sleep to take care of her. So yeah, I'm sure it'll eventually work itself out. Um, <clears throat> just gonna touch on a few of them real quick, Mike. Um, I gotta give Bivol credit. I really thought Zerto and his team were gonna listen to kind of what I was thinking, and I'm sure other people probably were thinking too, that there was no way they were gonna outbox this guy. They needed to go at him and try to use his size and his and his uh, mass to try to kind of cut the ring off, hit him to the body, take his legs away, and then eventually try to get him out of there, but. Man, his trainer literally came up with the silliest game plan I've ever seen. Instead yeah. of him trying to get inside to try to attack B-Ball and get to him, he tried to box with him. And I'm like, dude, come on. You're not going to outbox this guy. If anything, watching the Canelo fight, you should have seen that you're not going to outbox this guy. You have to get on the inside, and you have to be able to pound on him and take his <clears throat> take his legs away. Because if you just stand in the mid-range or from the outside, he's just going to pick you apart. And that's what he did. He picked Ramirez apart, and Ramirez had no answer. His corner had no answer. It, it was just an unbelievable uh, performance by Bivol. I have to give him all the credit. I expected a lot more from Ramirez, but, you know, that just goes to show you how sometimes guys are on, like you said, level to the game, and that was a – perfect example of how one guy is at a different level than another guy even though they're both quote-unquote uh in the same uh contender you know same contender slash champion status but he he totally proved that he was levels above Ramirez um and then <clears throat> there was another fight on that undercard Mike I don't know if you got to see it it was uh Rak Rakmulov against uh Zelfa Barrett man Barrett, I thought, was going to win that fight easily because he dropped him. He was beating him up pretty easily. But I have to give Rockman credit. Like, he came back in the second half of that fight, and he did what Ramirez was supposed to do, and that was basically beat up on Barrett, take his legs away, and then eventually he ended up stopping him in pretty brutal fashion, and he won that fight, and now he's uh, got that IBS belt at 30. Um, he's mandated to fight Cordina. I think he's he's too good, and I think he's going to beat Cordina. I've never really thought much of Cordina myself, and I think he's going to end up beating Cordina when he faces him next. Um, with the uh, Showtime card, Mike, um, the biggest indictment on that card was just watching Morel beat the living crap out of uh, your, your Boston Newley, and the fact that Tony Weeks, the doctor and your Boston Newley's corner never bothered to try to stop that fight. That fight was over, Mike, by the seventh round, in my opinion. Yep. I don't understand what the hell they were watching. And today they interviewed one of the guys in your Boston Newley's corner, and he said he was already thinking about throwing in the towel after the ninth round, but that your Boston Newley's trainer and someone else in the corner told him no that he was good. I'm like, what? Like, what were they watching? That guy's face was disfigured. Swollen. He was eating unbelievable power shots. 
power shot after like power shot. Morell was just teeing off on him. They that guy should have thrown the towel in. And at this point, like nobody in that fight, the doctor Weeks and his corner, they're all to blame. And that poor guy, if he makes it out of the hospital, which I hope he does, I hope he never steps in the ring again. That was just such a sad, sad uh, thing to watch to get to to see that guy's career just get destroyed in one fight. It, it's just sad. Um, Morell put on a hell of a performance. I'd like to see him fight a legit contender, though, at 68. I think they've been kind of giving him these second-tier guys. I'd like to see what he does against a guy who would be uh, a legit contender. Um, I was thinking maybe that guy that's with Eddie, or not Eddie, with Lou DiBella, uh, Carlo, Carlos Congora, mm. I think he might be a legitimate test for Morel. Yeah. What do you think, Mike? That'd be a great fight, man. That'd be a fun fight. Yeah, I think that would be a guy to prove that to see how real Morel is at 68, because I think they've been kind of just giving him second-tier dudes that he's way better than, and it's making him look like he's just like Roy Jones at well, this dude, point. But how about to me, they haven't Did, given him a guy. Uh, was it Andre Durrell got a W this weekend? Put him in there with Durrell. Yeah, but he's fighting He's fighting at light heavy now, Mike. Oh, shit. He moved right. up. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay. Yeah, unfortunately, they can't do that fight. Um. And then uh, the other fight that was on that card, uh, Jason uh, Rosario against Brian Mendoza. I honestly thought Rosario, this was a showcase for Rosario to win the fight. And the fact that he ended up getting basically brutally knocked out by Mendoza, Mm -hmm. man, that that was, I didn't see that coming. I thought Rosario was going to win that fight and it looked like he was going to win that fight up until he got knocked out. Um, the the interesting thing was the very next day, Mike, he announced his retirement, good. which I thought was a good idea. Yeah. After seeing him get laid out the way he's been laid out lately, that dude does not need to prove anything else. Like, he's done. Like, there's no need for him to get beat up. I just hope that we don't see him come back, like, two, three years from now because he's broke and he has no money. I hope they took care of him financially, and I hope he'll be well off enough that he never has to set foot in the ring again. Um, and then the fights this weekend, Mike, like you said, I think Janabek's going to be Bentley. I've seen Bentley fight a couple of times. He's a decent fighter, but he's, I don't think he's on Janabek's level. I think Janabek probably takes him out in like six or seven rounds. Uh, with Estrada, same thing, Mike. She's probably one of the best fighters in the, in the women's side right now. And I think this is just a stay busy fight. So it'll probably take her a few rounds to kind of knock off the rust, but I expect her to beat this this girl that she's fighting pretty easily as well. Mm-hmm. And then with that, uh, Montana love Stevie, I wonder where I'd heard Sparks name before. I completely forgot Tim zoo beat him a couple of years yep. ago. I was wondering like, Oh shit. So <clears throat> the fact that he went down to 40 to try to take on Montana love. Ooh, I don't know about that. I think that's a bad move. Yeah. I th- I agree with you, Mike. I think, I think Montana Love's going to outclass this dude. And he probably ends up taking him out. So, all right, Mike, I'll talk to you next. Uh, I don't know if you're going to do a show Friday or not, but if not, I'll talk to you next week. All right, sounds good, brother. Thanks, Nacho. All right, man. Yeah. Good stuff, good stuff. All right. Keep it rolling here with these phone calls. Make sure I'm not missing anything in the chat. No, we good. We good. Okay. 
All right, guys, I'm going to go just for, um, I don't know, maybe about 10 more minutes or so. All right. I'm wearing down. I'm getting tired. <laughs> so uh, let's keep it going, but let's, let's do rapid fire. All right. Quick hits, quick hits. We got Jack on the line. What's up, Jack? How you doing, man? Hey, what's up, bro? Um, I was wrong that Bibble didn't get the knockout, but bro, he he looked like the Bibble of old. He did. He looked like an old Bibble in there, like the like the Bibble we've seen against Sullivan Barrera. And the only reason why we did not see um, Bibble get the knockout was because Berto was so big, man. He was eating a ton of shots. He did look hurt a couple times though. Like there's a like I think round eight or seven, he was getting hit a lot, and I was saying. Damn, bro. Bibble steps up. He can get the stoppage. He likes to cruise sometimes. But, bro, his combination punching as a recent, just been beautiful. Like, sorry, I had to burp. <laughs> I've never seen anyone throw just, like, 13, 14 punch combinations the way he does. Yeah, it's there's just a beautiful fluidity to them. They're stinging. They're sharp. They're straight. And uh, he he's very unique in the way he fights, man. It's It's a lot of fun to watch him. And his footwork is just so amazing. Every time someone throws a punch, he has the conditioning to move back every single time, which just takes absolutely amazing conditioning. Watching him, I don't know if you, I don't know if you felt this on Saturday night. Like, like watching him fight, like rounds like ten and eleven when he was just coasting, I was like (laughs) saying, I felt something special. Now, do you know what I mean? And I was like, okay, we're watching a special fight. Do you know what I mean? I was like, I'm feeling something different with this guy right here. This yeah. is a special, special fight. That were you feeling that little, that little, that little. I felt that. I felt heart? that when Bro? he fought Canelo, and uh, I've just felt it about him this whole year. And honestly, what it is, Jack, is man, he wasn't motivated for some of those other fights in recent times. And for these fights, man, he was motivated, and he he showed the best. I actually think Baturbia was going to bring out even better stuff from Bivol. I think we're going to see an even better version of him next year. He's going to stop better be it, I think. I think that's very likely. And um, Michael Mindiola in the chat says, good point, Jack Alster. Definitely was the old Bivol before, <laughs> before the fight. My brother, who was a boxer, told me Bivol needs to go back to his old style and walk Dirto down. That's exactly what he did. <laughs> I'm just joking with there the – uh, <laughs> But, um, nah, dude, uh, no, Golovkin's always going to be my all-time favorite fighter. And then Arturo Gaddy. No, no, I think Bivol's above Gaddy now. But um, – Dude, just Bivol's just like you said for the Canelo fight, you noticed something special. Dude, I I told everyone for years, like not trying to brag, but I told everyone for years that the Bivol style is kryptonite for Canelo. Canelo ha- will have no answer. Like that little, like if you've seen my Better Be a Bivol uh, preview, like that little fake left hook he likes to throw, it won't work because Bivol's just going to move back every time. Yeah. It's kryptonite for Canelo. So that, I wasn't that impressed, but I was watching. Like, later on the fight, when Bibble just, like, relaxing up against the ropes and just beating the shit out of Zerto, like, you know, man, that special feeling felt great. But um, next week, we got – or this week, we got some good fights. I'm curious to see um, – because, you know, I know you don't like these YouTubers, but there's one dude, uh, KSI's brother, Deji, he's fighting Floyd Mayweather. And that'll be really funny because Deji is such, like, a crybaby, so I want to see Floyd sleep him. Oh, yeah, uh, that's, that's on the zone, him, right? Yeah, that's on the zone. I find yeah. that to be really funny because for years, LRB said, we don't fight on a nap. We don't fight on a nap. And here he is fighting on a nap. Good stuff. Yeah, man. Uh, I know I know you said rep- rapid fire, so I'm going uh, to uh, end it up here. But, dude, Bibble, uh, 
if you see, like Aaron says, the fight is 50 50 between Better Bev and Bibble, dude, I think it favors Bibble. Would you say 60 40, Bibble? Uh, I'd say 55 45 right now. I, I got to see how uh, Arthur looks against Anthony Yard, you know? Um, and then we got to see that if Bibble smashes down to 168 to fight Canelo there, that could affect him. So we just got to see how things play out. But if it was tomorrow, dude, 55-45 Bivol, in my opinion. Okay, one last question. So if Bivol goes and knocks out Canelo at 168, comes undisputed at 168, then goes and knocks out Better Biev, then undisputed at 175, then uh, beats a couple other good guys, gets like 15 defenses at light heavyweight, he'll definitely be an all-time great, don't you think? Absolutely. All right, man. That's all I got. You already know Bivol's the goat. Um, <laughs> yo, shout out to uh, Nacho though for getting humbled. Like he was like, I think Zerno's gonna stop him. <laughs> Bill fucking toyed with that fool. Hey, we've <laughs> all had, dude. I thought Wilder was gonna knock out Fury in their rematch. I mean, we've all had terrible, terrible picks, man. But yeah, that was Nacho's gonna want to walk that one back. But hey, he's out here owning it, man. So that's what it's all about. All right, Jack. Yeah, all right. Take care, bro. You, you too, man. Take care, bro. Oh, man, I just hit the wall, guys. I just got really tired, man. Oh, I need a nap. Let's go to Thad real quick. Thad, what's up, man? How you doing? You're on the show. Hey, Mike. Hey. Hey. Um. Yeah. I. I think it's a. I think it said something that um in the last three years we've seen on PBC, and Showtime three main events that had tragic endings. And what I mean by tragic is, you know, serious injuries with with Adonis Stevenson and, and Gavadzig and and now with with Sally. Well, I and, and, and I spoke to you. I said, look, right? No, versus no, it Stevenson. No, it was, it was um, um shit. Uh, Adonis Stevenson and Gavadzig. Oh, you're right. Okay, Remember okay, Stevenson, yeah. He had a coma. You're right. That that was yeah. Showtime, and then ESPN did have one. I, I just can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head right now. Anyway, sorry, man. Go ahead. But um, but headliner, yeah, headline fights, and you know, in these main events, they're supposed to be, you know, where you know these fighters can take care of themselves. Now, let me say, I I did tell you that it should have been a competitive fight. On paper, it it really did look that way, and there was uh, about eleven months of ring rust that your Boston really had. While Morrell had two fights since his last fight, I think that came into play. I think size was a big issue. Um. Overall, I mean, we've seen it before with with Ray Mancini, uh, Duku Kim, and uh, Jimmy Garcia versus Ruelas. Um, you know, a lot of these fights, the guy who did the damage was never the same either. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, these, these this is this is what happens in the sport. It destroys two careers. But you know, I was sick to my stomach because when I saw Tony Weeks as the ref, I actually cheered in the beginning because I had selfishly. Um, I had Morel by knockout and I, I thought this guy weeks based on his, you know, past performances with Andre Ward versus Kovalev and stopping fights early and, and playing the favor for the A side. I thought it was a shoe and they'd probably get the stoppage because Morel was only minus 150 to get a knockout. And when I saw this guy taking a beating, you know, he was, he had like one or two rounds. You could say he, he possibly was competitive in a one. He was, he was just off. He, he wasn't able to land anything. And, you know, to see the beating and the eye blinking shades of Gerald McClellan versus Nigel Ben. It was evident something was wrong. And he was fighting through it. This guy has the heart of a lion. And mm -hmm. 
you have to save people from themselves sometimes. Exactly. And Tony Weeks, based on his, the thing about Tony Weeks, look, if you're going to be, if you're going to do what you do, you know, stop fights like for low blows with Kovalev, stop fights prematurely. Then why couldn't you stop this fight prematurely in the seventh round? Not maybe even the ninth round when I thought it should have been stopped. Okay. But he let it go all the way to the end when even in the 12th round, he deducted a point for holding when the guy was fighting for his life, literally holding on for his life. That was a disqualification at the very least. With, with this holding now in boxing, it's become like a, a, a way of life for some fighters. And, you know, referees are now looking at it like strategy. No, holding is, is a sign of weakness. You know, you can't use holding to benefit yourself. Okay, he was fighting for his life, and that fight should have been stopped when he was holding. It should have been a disqualification over, but they wanted probably to yeah, – they probably didn't want that on the guy's resume. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just very disgusted at how that was handled. And, and you know, fighting in, Min, in Minnesota, one thing about Nevada, they, they have great, a great commission doctor that knows what to look for there. They really cleaned up their act after the, the ring deaths in, in the past. I think Jimmy Garcia was in Vegas. Because Mitch Halpern was the referee, and he unfortunately ended up committing suicide. Mm. And and that, you know, people in his family said that was the reason. Years later, and after he refereed the Holyfield Tyson fight, you know, he kind of went off the edge. It just sticks with you. Mm. I can only imagine. I don't know. I've never been responsible for a person's death, but I guess he took it that way. Okay. But, um, you know, ever since then, Vegas has been very good, but Minnesota is not a hotbed for boxing, except yeah. for PBC. Bad commission. And and it was this, and it was a it was a situation that unfortunately I think could have been prevented. Um, my here, Mike, I've been thinking with six or eight ounce gloves for the bigger guys. I mean, for the bigger guys, eight ounce and the lower weight class is six ounces. You don't see these ring deaths in UFC. You get clean knockouts. In boxing, you have 10-ounce gloves above 154 and above. So you're basically getting hit with like a sandbag, you know, throughout a 12-round fight. And there's it's just a prolonged beating that you see these ring, you know, casualties, ring injuries. And that's what we have right now, a ring injury. Um, but if you have these lower-ounce gloves, I think that's a, that's a way to kind of prevent some of these calamities. My God. And and it would it would be better for the sport overall, you know, where where fighters now they're not fighting with pillows. You're able to slap and move and run. You're, you're forced to really, you know, bite down and 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 do the other guy sometimes a service and get him out there early. Remember when George Foreman said, "Hey, I don't want to hurt the guy. I want to get him out early. I want to get him out in the first round because I don't want to I don't want to punish this guy. I don't want to hurt this guy." Nowadays, I mean, it's really hard to knock guys out because you're allowed to hold. You have guys that come in there 30 pounds heavier than the weigh-in. Like Zerto Ramirez, I mean, this guy was like a 210-pound heavyweight. So there's a lot of factors here, but that's just some of them that I, I wanted to bring to light. And, I, and before I let you go here, if you want to you know, look into why this fight took so long to make, because there's some kind of WBA Reggie Bell mandatory it was like kind of prolonged. It was, it was supposed to happen and it wasn't supposed to happen. It was, it was delayed. And this Yabasanuli was put on the sidelines for, for uh, 13 months. And we see this a lot with PBC. We see it with Tim Zhu now. He's going to be on the shelf for a career long layoff. So Mike, I wanted to ask your opinion. If you think it's almost 
you know, deliberate or coincidence, but the bottom line is that all these things kind of, you know, follow the same blueprint. And it's not good for us, the fans. It's not good for the fighters. So people could say, you know, whatever, whatever you want. Everyone has a right to their opinion. And you can't tell me, you know, that I'm eating filet mignon and you're selling me minute steaks. Because <laughs> name one PBC uh, pay-per-view that was actually worth it. You know, besides maybe the Wilder fight and he got his clock clean and that was the only reason to watch it. Okay. So don't tell me, you know, Hey, that this is a quality product. Now Heyman knows what he's doing. No, he doesn't. I'm sorry to say, and I'm not the only one saying it. <laughs> Oscar De La Hoya is going to come out and out this guy. I can't wait to see what that's going to be about. So I'll leave you with that, Mike. And, and I want to hear some of your responses. So have, All a, good right, one, man. have a good one, man. Okay. Yeah, as far as the, the waiting game to uh, to get guys off of their rhythm and fight them at a time where they're like in between camps, that's been being done for ages. And I mean, um, PBC, uh, they do that. They're not the only ones, but yeah, that is a game that they play. It They always tie it into the network thing and the money. But um, I remember when Danny Jacobs fought Gennady Golovkin, they delayed that one. Uh, Wilder Stavern, that there's delays in that. I mean, yeah, there, there's a track record of delaying things, just getting somebody off their rhythm, getting them, you know, having them go through a camp and then delaying a fight so that their rhythm is off. Uh, or maybe you know your guy's not on weight or your guy is recovering from an injury that you want to keep quiet. It's, games like that do get played. And uh, the WBA is because they have 8,000 belts in each division and they're doing business almost exclusively with Heyman right now and PBC with all the Reggie belts and stuff, they kind of um, enable it and, and, and assist them in doing it. Now, again, are they the only platform doing this? No, these sorts of games and tricks go on all over the place, but it is prevalent in American boxing with certain platforms. Um, can't deny it. I mean, I've seen it so many times uh, where, yeah, you get a guy off his rhythm, uh, especially if there's a weight cut involved, things like that, or maybe your guy needs a few extra months. And so you push the fight back a couple months. It happens all the time. As it relates to Charlo and Zoo, I think that a lot of that, it is going to affect Charlo. It's going to affect Zoo, but also Charlo. I mean, they're both going to be coming off a layoff. I think it's too soon for Zoo to take that fight. I think the biggest reason they're pushing it back has to do with network money. Um, they, they want to open up uh, the books for the new year and that budget is tapped over there. And because they can't put that on pay-per-view, that just won't do pay-per-view numbers in America. It won't even do a hundred thousand. It will over in Australia, of course. And that's where the bulk of the money is coming uh, for, especially on zoo's side, obviously they're not going to give Charlo all that pay-per-view upside over there. Charlo's money is going to come from the American network and those books aren't going to open up until January. So, so they want to wait till quarter one next year and get some money there. So a lot of times, it, you know, the networks get involved and uh, they are um, the reason why some of these things get delayed. The networks screw it up just as much as the promoters guys that really do. All right. One last call. And then I'm out of here. Cause I'm, I'm dying here. So uh, seven, nine, six in the UK, you were on the show. What's up? Yeah, hello, Mike. Uh, how's it going? What's uh, up, man? I thought that might be you, man. How you doing? Yeah, I accidentally dropped off. I, I've got a flu, <coughs> so my oh, man. died. Uh, it's slightly better, but 
I'm struggling to really like uh, I I've not been in work for like almost a week, but I want to get your thoughts on a couple of things. Uh, I I didn't watch the Showtime card, but I did watch the Bivol and uh, Ramirez fight, and I, I think I caught the majority of the fight before. I think, not the women's fight. I think it was the fight with uh, I forgot the guy's name. The, the guy from the UK, uh, he got knocked out. Uh, you were saying he was injured, but yeah, I can manage to catch a majority of that fight as well. But I wanted to get your thoughts on the Bivol and Batubia fight because I still think Batubia is a slight favourite. I know Ramirez was a good win, but I think he's more of a 50-50 fight. But to me, it seems like if Bivol can't hurt him, I don't know if Bivol could keep someone up, but, uh, someone like Batubia at bay for 12 rounds. Yeah, I think he's good enough to do it with most guys, but if people who have watched the Gavazde fight and the Joe Smith fight, I do think uh, you've got to be careful with Batubia. What's that? I'm sorry. It was, it was uh, distortion. I can hear you. Go all ahead. Right, sorry. No, I, I don't know. No, I, I do think uh, Batubia has got underrated boxing skills, but... Yeah. Bivol for twelve rounds, I think that is dangerous. I do think Bivol has got power. I can't remember who was seeing it. I think Ramirez tried out boxing him, but Ramirez felt something from Bivol earlier on. But what would you see is the best tactic? Because I think at some point Bivol will have to stand his ground and either hurt Batubiev or get his respect. Because I think Batubiev is one of those guys. I think. If you can't hurt him or push him back, he will actually walk through you. Well, as, as Michael Mendiola in the chat just mentioned, uh, Baturbiev has been dropped before. He starts very cold. He's one of those guys that warms up as he goes. And I think that, as you mentioned, getting respect, I mean, Bivol came right out and got Zerto's respect in the first round of their fight. He got Canelo's respect yeah. in the first round of their fight. I think he'll try to do the same thing against Baturbiev. And I think he can have a lot of success with it. Uh, Better Biev has been a guy that's been able to stalk fighters, walk them down, bust them up, break them up. And that's going to be hard to do with Bivol because he's in and he's out. He has fantastic movement. His punches are long and straight. And Baturbiev throws wider looping type of punches. So it's really just a matter of can Bivol box and keep him at bay for 12 rounds. That's the question, in my opinion. I think Bivol will win the early rounds, no doubt. It's just going to be what happens in the middle to late rounds of that fight. I don't think there'll be a light fight. So even if Bivol wins, I do think yeah, I there'll agree. be a close competitive fight. But I do think um, I do think Batubiev uh, does cut the ring off well. Then. I know Bivol has got a very good foot to it, so... I I I don't know. Some people are thinking it's going to be an easy fight. No, I I'm not sure about that. I do think uh, Petrubiev is capable of stopping anyone. But I would have liked to have seen how Bivol would have done against Gavazdik because I do think Gavazdik is someone who I think hits harder than uh, Bivol. Maybe he's not as polished or as good as a boxer fundamentally, but we stopped some of those guys, including Stevenson. I think Gavazdik did have legit power and can actually box. But I think he was a bit too upright. I think Bivol knows how to move in and out. And his defense, I think, is a lot more fundamentally better and all-around, uh, what's he called, polished than the But I think that's the best fight in boxing. I would say 
is a better fight than Fury and Usyk because uh, although that's a very good fight, I think there's a massive gulf in size uh, difference. And Crawford and Spence, uh, good fight, but I think Spence is slightly overrated by some people, and I think that fight's kind of just dragged on. But I think this is the best fight boxing with two guys in one weight class. Would you agree or disagree? Uh, Spence and Crawford's the best fight? No, no, no. Bivol and Patavia. Oh, yeah, I agree. I, I think, you know, I, I saw. I can't remember who tweeted it, but there was somebody on Twitter that said that they prefer uh, Bivol Baterbia. Mario Lopez? Yeah, 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 that's right. It was Mario Lopez. And I retweeted it, and I said, because <laughs> um, basically, for those of you uh, listening on the show, uh, Mario Lopez said that he's like, I prefer better BF Bivol over Spence Crawford. And I retweeted it and I said, you know, I would have disagreed with this two or three years ago, but now I can't disagree. I completely agree. I, and I agree with you, Hamed, that the best fight that could be made in the sport, as in the best two fighters in a division, is Baturbiev and Bevel, because I'm not so sure that Spence and Crawford are still the two best welterweights because there's Jerron Boots Ennis, there's Virgil Ortiz. I'm not sure that those guys are the best right now. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Tal was as well. Bivol yeah. is like a consummate a boxer. Patubiev is like one of the biggest punchers. I think Gifto is the biggest puncher, pound for pound, in boxing. So I, I think it is the best fight in boxing. I don't know what Bivol will do next, but I agree with what you were saying. If Canelo does fight him, the only way I'd want to see that is that super middleweight, uh, if it's for the undisputed titles. But do you think if he beats Canelo and goes on to beat, say, Batubiev, and at the same time Usyk beats Fury, do you think he's pound for pound or would you have to give it to Usyk because of the size difference? If Usyk beats Fury, it, it's got to be Usyk. I mean, that that's... Yeah. That's a 200-pound man versus a 280-pound man. I mean, that's insane. <laughs> that's just insane. Yeah. That's like circus shit. That's yeah, like yeah. from the circus. So, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. If he, if, yeah. If, he, if he moves down and does that, I think that's a great accomplishment. But yes. I would rather see him fight someone else. Uh, before I go, I'd, I'd like to maybe see him fight someone just to stay busy fighting. If he could fight Barazzi, I know Gavaldic's back, but if you can't get the undisputed fight next, I think because uh, Bacubia is going to fight Yad, then maybe a fight against uh, Barazzi. I don't know. He's already beaten Pascal, but it's a stay busy fight, but I think they are going to go after the money. But I don't know what Canelo could do different in the rematch because I know he's a better boxer than Zido, but I just don't think he's capable of uh, even at 168, maybe maybe more competitive, but I don't think it's enough for him to beat someone like Bivol. Do you, do you, would you say he's got a more chance at 168, or do you think it's the same? I, I think at, what, as one third fight. What makes that <clears throat> what makes that um, appealing that fight if they do that 168 is first of all it's for undisputed, but second if you believe Canelo that he came into that Bivol fight injured and that he'll be 100 percent in the rematch, there's that. And then there's the fact that Bivol, even though he's not a big light heavyweight, he still has to cut seven pounds and he doesn't have any fat on him. He's basically going to be cutting some muscle. So all those factors for me make that an interesting fight. And I, I'd, I'd welcome it. You know, I'd like to see it. 
But Ahmed, uh, gotta let you go, brother. Yeah. We're, gonna, we're gonna wrap up the show, man. I'll, feel better, man. I'll, feel better, I'll, my I'll man. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Congratulations as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, nobody. I'll speak to you soon. All right. All right, man. Get better. Feel better. And uh, man, I, I hope uh, I hope I don't get the flu. That's the last thing I freaking need. Not trying to get sick. All right, guys. Um, great freaking show, man. Awesome show. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, make sure you share it. All right, get the word out, and uh, we'll try to do a show Friday. All right. Until then, uh, have a great week. I'll see you guys in a few. Peace.